Mind Podcast, talking all things NFL. Now here's your hosts, Woot and Why. Hello, 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 and welcome to a special draft episode of the Woot and Why show. I'm Josh Why, and I'm joined by my co-host, Josh Woot. That's correct. You filled my line in for me. I only had I have one input in the intro, and you filled it in yeah, for me. Thank sorry, you for mate. That. Uh, so basically, the plan was to do a normal episode, and we're going to cover the news and do some other stuff, and then we're going to speak to Mark Schofield. Fortunately for us, our interview with Mark Schofield went seamless, seamlessly, as opposed to me not stuffing. Did I stop? The irony of me stuffing that word up is hilarious, <laughs> the, by the way. The seamless, <laughs> seamless, whatever. We need like a jar, I think, in here where I put a dollar every time I make a mistake uh, we'll pronouncing rich. a word, and we would you'd be rich. Uh, it'd be like the free parking space of Monopoly. <laughs> you know, you hit the jackpot. But anyway, our interview. Do you play with, that rule? Yeah, yeah, we do. That's a poll. That's yeah, all right. That's a poll. We'll add that to uh, to the polls. The free the way, parking in, in Monopoly. That increases the game by. I can't remember what the the stats were. So behind they work it, it out. Yeah, and wow. it, like, it increases the length of the game of Monopoly by hours and hours and oh, hours. Oh, well, maybe we shouldn't play it. I don't play it anymore, ever since I read that. But anyway, continue, because well, that has yeah. no relevance no, to whatever, this podcast. No, whatever, but we've got some time to fill. Uh, anyway, so uh, our interview with Mark went really, really well, and it went for a very long time, because there's so much to get into with the quarterback positions. The most, obviously the most complex position in all of sport, and with four really clear elite quarterback, not elite, but Four top-tier quarterback prospects in this class and so many teams with quarterback question marks. Our interview with with Mark went for an hour, so I thought we'd do it as a standalone episode. So this is this episode is just our chat with Mark Schofield. We do mention at the start of the interview, talking about earlier on in the episode, talking about uh, animals and floods and stuff. That's on our previous episode that we recorded earlier in the day before speaking to Mark, but we decided to split them up. So if you're hearing that, you have to listen to another episode. So, uh, fortunately, you got to listen to two, but that's just the way it lucky goes. Lucky you. Lucky you. All right, uh, let's get into our interview with Mark. All right, joining us on the line is Mark Schofield. For a part-time farmer and full-time father, Mark Schofield goes all right at evaluating and studying football as well. He's one of the driving forces behind the successful conglomerate that is inside the pylon. He covers wide receivers and tight ends for the NFL 1000 on Bleacher Report. He's also the author of a novel called 17 Drives. I recommend you purchase that on Amazon. And you can purchase the ITP Draft Guide by heading to uh, itpdraftguide.com. They've got their own website for it. It's a legit operation there. <laughs> and you can also follow them on Twitter at Inside the Pylon. And you can follow Mark on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Welcome to the Woot and Why Show, Mark. Finally, I've been trying to get you on for ages and I've finally locked you down. Good morning, gentlemen. That's a that's quite the introduction. I, I thank you for that. It makes me sound important. <laughs> you are important. You're on the show with uh, us. <laughs> this is true. I am important now. I was I was not important until about three minutes ago. Yeah. Now you know you've made it. You've really made <laughs> I it. I know. You've made it I'm big in Australia. <laughs> I'm, I'm huge in Australia. They love me, man. Yeah. Well, no, we do. Uh, and I know uh, a friend of the show, Justin Twell, is a big fan of yours as well, and you are and a colleague. So you you have a little bit of an Australian uh, background, I would say, maybe. I mean, it's kind of like when I was in London years ago and taking the tour of Tower Bridge and the beef eater was like, any of you people from Australia, because this used to be a prison, so you'll feel quite <laughs> at home here. And that's, I guess you could say that, you know, about me, that kind of applied to me as well. Wow. Uh, we talked about this at the top of the show, uh, about all the uh, weather that's going on here and a shark washed up on shore and you tweeted that at me. 
We also saw a man covered in insects and spiders while being trapped at the top of his car. With all the crazy animal stories, what do what do people in Australia in America actually think about Australia? Like, do you think that just wild animals just roam free? Like, what? what? I mean, I think like generic Americans are like, yeah. That is a scary place. I would never want to go there. I would probably step off the plane and either get kicked in the face by a kangaroo or just get eaten by a spider. I'm a little bit different. Like my wife has, you know, her best friend in the world, like actually lives in Melbourne. And so, you know, we get to see like what, you know, Australia is really like for the most part. But yeah, I mean, generic American is like terrified of Australia. Awesome. Yeah. (laughs) So you guys need to play that up right now. We should definitely do that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just like, just play it up. Like, just go on full Sharknado. I mean, that picture of a shark, like, dropped on a street. Like, people were legitimately scared here in the States. <laughs> it's hilarious because, like, we, the last, I can't even remember the last time I saw a snake. I just. <laughs> or a shark. Or a no, shark. I mean, it, and you saw, like, I forget on Twitter, like, there was a picture of a spider that was, like, literally just on top of a toilet seat. Just like covered the entire thing, and that just makes the round on Twitter, and people are just like, "Nope, never going to Australia." Hmm. And it probably happens like once in twenty years, but that's all you guys need. Yep. I mean, I know the world's a crazy place right now, but there's probably one country the United States will never invade, and it's Australia, because we're all just gonna be like, "Nope, nope, 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 not going there. We'll no. go anywhere else. We'll fight not- you with spiders and sharks, everything." <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll picture like just like rows of big spiders and sharks on the beaches. <laughs> Anyway, let's, yeah, we're terrified of that place, man. Let's uh, get to. That's some... good to hear, though. Yeah, it <laughs> is. It's great. Yeah. Makes let's... us sound so much tougher than we are. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. definitely. Uh, let's get to some chatter about uh, the quarterback position. That's why we got you on here, and you you did a lot of the work for the quarterback position in the uh, inside the pylon draft guide, and we'll get you to sell that to us right at the end of our uh, chat. But uh, we've got some questions for you, and uh, we're going to start us off. All right, I'll fire away, uh, Mark. Who, in your opinion, is the best quarterback outside, you know, the big the big guns at the top that has the best chance to develop into a starter? We're not gonna go the Davis Webb route, are we? It's no, up, no, I have got that up my sleeve later on. Don't don't <laughs> yeah, you okay, don't you okay. worry. Well, I mean, the thing after like the top four guys of Watson, Kaiser, Mahomes, and Trubisky, they're all pretty, I think, scheme dependent in the sense that like, for example, like Davis Webb, we were just talking about him, you know, fits a vertical passing scheme. But other types of offenses right now, he's not really tailored to serve in that role, like a West Coast offense or sort of a time in an Arndt Parkins type offensive scheme. Brad Kaya, I think, is a guy that I look at him and I think he could function right now in a true West Coast offense. Like I could see Brad Kaya getting drafted by, for example, the Kansas City Chiefs and maybe not pushing Alex Smith for the job on day one. But soon, because I think he really fits that offensive scheme. Mm-hmm. But then you get him into sort of, you know, a vertical-based scheme like Arizona or Baltimore, and he doesn't quite have the overpowering arm or the big-type arm to push the ball down the field. And so when you get past the top four guys, that's what I'm saying. They're pretty scheme-dependent. But out of that group, you know, Gerard Evans from Virginia Tech, uh, Nathan Peterman, I think, is in sort of that mix for QB5 as well. They are scheme-dependent, but I look to Kaya and sort of the way that he excels – on the football field he's probably the most technically sound quarterback in this class in terms of his footwork his throwing mechanics it's almost robotic in a sense but i could see kaya coming into 
either a West Coast offense or a timing-based offense, and really being able to play early. You watch some of his tape, and yeah, there are times when he gets flustered by pressure, doesn't have the big overpowered arm to drive it into tight throwing windows, but you can do some stuff scheme-wise to you know, have him in a position to make throws down the field and make throws to the outside, and he can certainly throw uh, good time and routes with anticipation on a West Coast scheme. So I think out of the next sort of group, I look to Kaya to be that guy that, mm. you know, probably falls to like, you know, late second, early third round, but a team might get a really good pick in Brad Kaya. Yep. Uh, looking at uh, the, the entire class, uh, what quarterback do you think has the highest ceiling and then which qu- quarterback has the, you know, the safest floor or the highest floor? I mean, I think the easiest answer in terms of highest ceiling is Mahomes. Um, I know he's pretty much caught fire on Twitter um, in the football world basically the past like couple of months. Um, but you, when you watch Mahomes play, I mean, he makes some jaw-dropping throws. Um, probably the top arm talent in this class. You know, we're recording this Friday night in the States, Saturday morning um, down in Australia. And he just finished up his pro day, and he ended it with an 80-yard Hail Mary throw. Jeez. And, you know, that's stuff that some of the other guys in this class just can't do. I mean, so he's got, I'd say, you know, great to elite type arm talent um, and can extend plays. And the thing that he doesn't, I think, get enough credit for is, you know, he has the sort of air raid tag where people say, oh, well, yeah, I mean, it was just the offensive system that nobody plays defense in the Big 12. So, yeah, of course, he put up numbers, but he had some really bad games and makes some really bad throws. But, you know, you mentioned the ITP draft guide. Well, my partner in crime, Ted Wynn, uh, Raiders analysis on Twitter. He really dove into Mahomes, studied in his offense and everything. And when he and I sat down to go through these guys, he was like, look, Mark, he's going to have it easy when he gets to the NFL in terms of the playbook because Cliff Clainsbury put a ton on his plate. That offense, yeah, it's an air raid offense, but they did a ton with option routes, routes getting converted based on coverage and based on what the secondary was doing. So he had to do a lot. Um, in terms of processing the defense and reading the coverage and making a throw. And so, you know, I, you put all that together, the physical tools as well as the mental attributes that have kind of flown under the radar when you talk about Mahomes, I, I think the sky's the limit for this kid. And so I put him basically, you know, basically I think he's the highest floor guy, but it's a boom-bust type situation. Mm-hmm. Because like I said, he makes some mistakes. And if he's in the right environment, the coach like lets him – be who he is, lives with the mistakes, knowing that you're going to get some great plays out of him, sky's the limit. But if he's sort of in an environment where they try to either coach that sort of gunslinger mentality out of him, they try to make him be you know, almost conservative in a way, or they just can't live with the mistakes, you can see it kind of going badly. You may have already just answered this, but when watching the QB tape, what quarterback you know, had you saying wow the most? I mean, it really depends. Um, I mean, Mahomes definitely had some moments where you're just like, wow, I mean, that's just a phenomenal throw. That's a phenomenal play. Like, this is this kid's something special. But I think overall, and, you know, maybe it comes down to the national championship game and seeing him do what he did for the second straight year against Alabama. But Deshaun Watson, I think, is a special quarterback. And, you know, I didn't dive into the, you know, maybe the highest floor guy yet, but I think that guy is Watson in this class and for a couple of reasons. You know, you watch, you know, fourth quarter against Alabama with the national championship on the line. And it's just putting that offense on his back and standing in the pocket, getting lit up. I mean, that defense put a beating on him, but he kept getting up play after play, making big time throws. Yep. And you step away from that for a minute. And this is the, 
these are the numbers that I keep coming back to when I think about Deshaun Watson, and they're these. 138 completions off 205 attempts for 16, uh, 1,615 yards for 63% completion rate, 16 touchdowns, two interceptions. Those are his fourth quarter numbers while in college, and that includes two national championship games. Wow. And that's money time. Like that's when you need your quarterback to basically put the team on his shoulders. And those are the type of numbers that he's putting up in those moments. And so for Watson, I think – you know, it's the big stage moments that stand out, but sometimes it's the little things. Like he made a throw against Florida State on I think it was a third and twenty-two, where the pocket starts to break down. He pulls the ball down to start to run, sees a receiver break open at the last second, and in just one like split second, stops on a dime and delivers a rope. You know, twenty-five yards downfield for a first down. And a lot of guys don't have the just pure athletic ability to stop on a dime and make that throw they'll stop and set themselves or reset their feet or take an extra step or two but it was just a one quick fluid motion that was a play where i was just like we're overthinking this kid you know really overthinking that. i mean it happens every draft cycle guys where we have a guy that comes in and everybody's like this is qb1 and it was watson this year everybody last summer was like this is the guy he got off to a slow start and people backed away and started looking around for another quarterback and i think we just kind of overthought him too much hmm. yeah I agree. And those fourth quarter numbers are Insane. ridiculous. <laughs> I love that. National Championship game was so much fun. Um, the term pro-ready gets used a lot during the draft process. Which quarterback is the most, quote, unquote, pro-ready? <laughs> yeah, John. I mean, that's a, that's such a – it's one of those terms you almost like read and you're like – you roll your eyes or you cringe a little bit. Because like for some people, like pro-ready is just, oh, this guy operated under center. He took snaps under center. Well – you know, watch the NFL. Like, who takes snaps under center anymore? I mean, Tom Brady did it a couple of times at the Super Bowl, but let's be honest, this is now like a shotgun league. And, you know, I think for a lot of people, they think, like, they look at CJ Beth and it's like, oh man, he was lining up under center, left and right. He's pro ready. So I think that's another term that kind of gets beaten to death a little bit. But yep. in terms of guys that run sort of pro style concepts, and when I'm talking about pro style concepts, you've got, you know, whether it's routes that challenge different levels of the field from sideline to sideline, like think about what New England does or what Washington does, where you've got different concepts to each side of the field and you've got to try to read the coverage and go to one side of the field versus the other. I think a guy that sticks out in that regard is Brad Kaya under that Mark Richt offense that he was running down in Miami last year. There was a lot of stuff where you've got, you know, maybe a levels concept to the right side of the field and a smash to the left side of the field. And you're trying to read the secondary pre-snap, see the coverage. And if it's cover two, you go one side, cover three, you go to the other side of the field. And so I think Brad Kaya kind of fits that mold. But, you know, really when you dive into these guys, they're still running concepts that you see, you know, in the NFL on Sunday afternoons, on Monday nights, like Deshaun Watson, he gets double slant or toss or concept. That's something Tom Brady throws. That's mm. you know New England day one kind of installation. You know you see stick concept from UNC. That's something that the Baltimore Ravens are running. And so, you know these guys run bits and pieces of pro style offenses. It's just that they're not putting together an entire pro style package from day to day, from snap to snap, from drive to drive. With the exception, I think perhaps of Kaya and you know maybe some other guys in this class. Uh, speaking of other guys in this class, I've got to ask you about Davis Webb. Um, oh, here we go. The only quarterback <laughs> that was uh, kind enough to grace us with his presence down in Sydney, Australia. Uh, so that automatically, you know, that's a big uptick for us that he, you know, it's nice enough to play on Australian soil. But 
let's talk about this round one talk nonsense because it really is nonsense. Uh, and I believe at one point Kuiper and McShay had him at quarterback one, like during the it was like middle of the season before they properly evaluated. But still, the amount of round one buzz that Davis Webb is getting feels insane to me. Uh, I know you have some uh, thoughts on it yourself. I do, but I got to ask you guys though, since. Mr. Webb was kind enough to play down there. Like, do you guys kind of feel involved in his, like, will there be parades or celebrations down in Australia if he goes in the first round? Like, is he like a favorite son at this point? No? (laughs) No, I think. Not whatsoever, uh, I don't think. He kind of struggled against Hawaii for a little bit. So, like, you know, I don't know. He was, I think Australia more fell in love with Chad Hansen. Um He's a good-looking dude, Chad Hansen. So um, that, that's a very handsome man. And for that's us, a handsome and man. for us uh, in the locker room after the game, I asked a Vegemite question, and Chad Hansen was the one that uh, really took it on board and answered it. So I think he's kind of the guy that we got we got behind. So yeah, I'm so not if sh- anyone we have a soft spot for Hansen. Yeah, we have a soft spot for Hansen ever since Umbop came out. Really, <laughs> um, no, sorry, that's a bad but, joke. I, mean, I just remember when he was down there, though. Got to give Davis Webb credit for this. On Twitter, he shot a shot with uh, Margot Robbie, right? Yeah, he ch- yeah he that? he was like, "Hey guys, um, uh, hey Margot, I'm in Sydney. You want to hit me up or something like that?" Man, that I respect that. <laughs> I mean, he got it. I mean, so if we're gonna talk about a guy that's perhaps maybe willing no to challenge some, you know, no fear, like willing to challenge some, you know, coverages or situations, shall we say, that other quarterbacks might shy away from. I mean, you got to give him points for that. I think, <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's willing to take risks. So yeah, yeah, um, you know, maybe a bit of a gunslinger mentality. So look, um, maybe it pushes him up, you know, into the first round. If he, if he actually delivered on Margot Robbie, I think yeah. he's top five. I mean, but... if he pulled that off, then we're I'm scrapping my QB board and going back to the drawing table. Yeah, I I, I couldn't mean, agree more. No, but I mean, the Davis Webb first round talk. There's like a very narrow pathway where I could almost talk myself into it making a little bit of sense and that's this i i mentioned earlier guys that i look at him and he's very scheme dependent right now he throws perhaps the best nine route in this class throws a great deep ball touch time and anticipation placement everything you want to see on that route it's the other eight routes in the tree guys where i start to wonder is this really a guy you want to build your team around and you know, he was a guy that was down at Mobile for the Senior Bowl. As a guy that I was excited to see up close and personal because this is when he started to get that buzz. Like, oh, you know, maybe he's going to be the standout quarterback down there in Mobile. Watching him in the stands, and I'm surrounded by other guys from Twitter like Derek Clawson who watches quarterbacks or Arif Hassan and other guys like Kyle Krabs, John Ledyard who are all watching this guy expecting to see him do something good. And he was even misthrown on those nine routes. And we're like – what is this? Like, who is this guy? This is what we expected at all. And, you know, Tuesday, and I think for the good portion of Wednesday's practices, he just did not look good. Made one good throw on an end, a red zone slant route on Thursday's practice near the end. And then out of nowhere had a great senior bowl game itself and was named MVP. Um, and it was just kind of all left a scratch in our head. Now, maybe he's the kind of guy that shows up on game day when the lights come on. You hear that about Dak Prescott. Does Not a great practice player, but plays well in the games. Even so, even with all of that, I think you still, when you look at Davis Webb, he's best fit for a vertical-based passing scheme. Arizona, Baltimore, maybe Carolina, teams have pushed the ball down the field a lot. Any other offensive style right now, and I don't think he's really ready to step in. And so when you look at your draft board, you try to rank these guys in a vacuum. Are you really going to waste a first-round pick on a guy like Davis Webb? 
if he can't run your scheme. Mm-hmm. Like it just doesn't seem to make sense to me. Now, if you're Arizona at 13 and you've got your eyes on replacing Carson Palmer, maybe because he might fit your offensive scheme. But I still think that you could either wait until later in the first round or even early in the second and get him because he's not universally applicable to most offenses right now. So there aren't going to be that many teams that are going to look at him and say, he's the guy that can replace our quarterback, or he's the guy that could step in and be the next Ben Roethlisberger or Eli Manning. Cause he's not really fit for those offenses. Maybe Baltimore because Flacco loves the deep ball and they like to push the ball down the field a bit too. But you add those pieces together, and I don't think you take Davis Webb in the first round because other teams aren't going to be looking at him there because he Mm -hmm. won't fit their offense. And you could probably find a different guy to help you somewhere else on your roster and get him either, you know, in the second round or if you really start to get worried that somebody's going to jump up and get him, then, okay, trade back into the end of the first round, get that fifth-year option on him, and then you can do it. But... You know, those are like that's that narrow path that I'm talking about, guys, where it could possibly make sense. Yeah, and you talk about you know fitting uh, fitting scheme and type of offense and things like that. I'm going to use that as a transition into our next part of our interview with you, and that's looking at the big four quarterback pro- prospects. I'm not going to ask you to rank them because for me personally, I think it would vary on on the scheme or the type of offense or what teams are requiring or asking of them. That would probably affect their rankings of the quarterback. What I am going to ask, though, is if you could just rattle off some strengths and weaknesses of each of the big four quarterbacks and maybe just to play a comp f- for each of those guys. Yeah, sure. And, you know, one guy we haven't talked about yet is Deshaun Kaiser, yeah. uh, the Notre Dame quarterback, who's a guy that, you know, I remain pretty high on, although, you know, you start to hear some question marks about, you know, his time at Notre Dame, how that ended, and his relationship with Brian Kelly. So I get that there are some sort of off-the-field considerations with respect to Deshaun Kaiser. I, I can't make heads or tails of that stuff because I've never sat down with him. I've never sat down with Brian Kelly. Yep. So I don't have access to the information that the teams do. But from a purely sort of on-the-field perspective, I think Kaiser is, you know, perhaps a guy that could emerge from this cloud of four quarterbacks and maybe have the best NFL career, dependent on the situation. I think if he finds himself in a situation where you look at San Francisco at two, you look at the fact that they need a quarterback, they now have Kyle Shanahan, you look at the offensive style of play that he was using with Matt Ryan in Atlanta last year, and then you go back and look at some of Kaiser's tape, you see a lot of the same concepts. You see a lot of the same type of designs in that Atlanta offense last year as you did with watching Notre Dame in the past two years. And so I think that's a situation where he could come in run that offense pretty quickly and probably have success with an offensive minded head coach. But then there are some other situations with Kaiser where I think it could go wrong. You know, if he's with a coach, like, you know, maybe if he goes to Chicago at three, you could probably see it going wrong. But with him, with Kaiser, I think the strength, you know, he's got, um, he's the ability to go from field to field, from left side to right side, make full field progression reads. He's got some experience in an offense that has some pro style concepts in it. Definitely has sufficient arm talent, velocity, and accuracy to make the throws that are required of an NFL quarterback. The concern that I have with him, and this almost gets back to the off the field stuff in his relationship with Brian Kelly, there are a lot of decisions that I question, specifically no throw decisions, where he's got receivers open. And he just doesn't pull the trigger or he locks onto a receiver and he doesn't know when to get to that next read because he's either trying to make something happen or he's afraid of making a turnover. Like there was a throw, you know, people point to some of his 2015 tape 
um, as some of the best tape in this class. But there was a play against Stanford in that 2015 game where he's got a receiver wide open on a post route late in the first half, and he just doesn't pull the trigger. He's looking right at it. He gets the coverage he wants, doesn't pull the trigger, tries to make something happen with his legs, and fumbles. And they lose the fumble, and they you know turn the football over right before the half don't put any points on the board they're in the red zone they're in field goal range and so you wonder like why is he afraid there like why doesn't he pull the trigger was it a situation where he doesn't want to make a turnover because brian kelly's going to scream at him or did he not trust his eyes like so it's things like that where they give me a little bit of pause with kaiser um in terms of a comp for him i mean you know i, I look at the offense that he was running and you, again you come back to atlanta and what they've been doing like you know Got a little bit of Matt Ryan, I think, to his game. Um, you know, somewhat athletic, can move, can make throws on the move. Um, you know, I'm not a big guy on comps, but yep. I can sort of, you know, put – I can see sort of that type of play. And he's, you know, got some similar traits to Matt Ryan, I'd say. Cool. Uh, another we've, – we've talked about Watson and Mahomes, but Trubisky is another guy uh, that's, you know, some, some people's QB1s, some people's QB4s. Only 13 game sample size. It's it's still a substantial amount of, of sample size. I mean, Cardell Jones's four game stretch where he was with Ohio State was getting scouts really excited. What did you see out of the 13 games? And and you know, did he improve from you know you know early on towards to the end? How much did he improve by? Yeah, I mean, I don't worry so much about the sample size because you know you bring up a great point there at the end with that question was. Did you see any improvement over the 13 games that he started? And I think you did. I mean, his first game against Georgia, I left that game wondering, you know, and thankfully, and this is an interesting point for people that do this evaluation stuff, the order in which you watch games could definitely influence your perception of a player because 100%. try as you might, try as you might to like keep an open mind, like you're going to form an early opinion on guys. His first game is against Georgia. I watched that maybe fourth or fifth or sixth in my evaluation of him. Had I watched that game first, I might have just walked away and said, this guy's undraftable. Like there were – you talk about no-throw decisions. He had sort of a 9-8-9 concept where you've got vertical routes along each sideline and a post in the middle of the field. This was in the red zone. He looks at the vertical route on the left comes to the post route of the middle of the field. It is wide open, guys, and it's against cover two. That's exactly what you want. <laughs> and he looks at it. It's wide open. And then he tries to scramble. It doesn't even think about pulling the trigger. And that's just one of those decisions where they're like, wait, what? Like, that's a high school read. That's a, you know, Division three college read. I mean, I was running that play in college. I couldn't make the throw, but I at least know what I had to do <laughs> with the ball. And so, you know, you just see that and you know, he tried to throw a comeback route along the sidelines and he was very much sort of a see it, throw it. I mean, he really had to make sure the guy was open before he pulled the trigger. Near the end of the season, he got better at stuff like that. There was still some head scratching decisions where, you know, another example I talk about a lot is against UVA. He has trips to the left, simple stick concept where the inside trips receiver is running a five yard route. He's either going to sit down versus zone, run to the sideline against man. Then the middle trips receiver is going to run an out route. Outside guy's going to run a vertical. The inside receiver, the guy that he's looking to first, is uncovered pre-snap. They've got the cornerback, the slot corner over number two. So he's thinking, I've got an easy throw, man. He's going to stop at five yards. I'm just going to give him the ball, right? At the snap, that slot corner jumps number three, and he just – it's brain lock. Like he doesn't know what to do. All he has to do is look two yards to the outside, and there's your number two receiver running that out route. Now he's wide open. Hmm. 
rather than doing that, he pulls it down and tries to run and gets sacked. And that's one of those things where you're like, that's another like simple sort of high school play. Like, was he told to if number if your first read isn't open to run it? And if that's the situation, well, that's okay. But why didn't they trust him to get from one read to two? Or if he was allowed to do that and he just couldn't get there, like that's another issue. So it's plays like that that give me pause. You saw less and less of that as the season goes along, but there are still plays like that where you're like, this is simple stuff. And obviously people point to the Stanford game, the bowl game. The pick six he threw was a simple cover two roll to cover one. He could see it pre-snap. The safety started running down towards the line of scrimmage pre-snap. He just assumed it was going to be covered two, and he'd have his running back wide open on the wheel route. The safety's now covering the running back and man, picks it and goes, takes it back for a touchdown. And so, mm. you know, you started the, uh, this question with he's some guy's QB1, another guy's QB4. He's my QB4. Like, I still think he'll go in the first round because there are some traits there that, you know, do stand out. It might be the most athletic quarterback at the top four, certainly has the arm strength and the velocity and things like that where, you know, he can make all the throws, but it's that decision-making stuff. And another thing I'll mention, mechanically, he's got a flaw where he steps in the bucket a bit with his left foot, opens that left hip up too much. That impacts his accuracy as well. So he's got some stuff to work out. I still think in the right situation, he could be a good quarterback. You know, I, I've mentioned Washington's offense. That would be a good type of situation where you've got, you know, mirrored passing concepts or half-field reads where, okay, you don't have to go full field, just – read the coverage and it rules out one side of the field, just look to the left side or look to the right. That would be a good sort of environment for him. Um, in terms of a comp for him, I've seen the Andy Dalton thing thrown around, and I think that makes sense. And I think it's a good thing. Like, I think there are probably 10 to 15 teams that would love to have Andy Dalton right now on their roster. I mean, like the New York Jets would love to have an Andy Dalton. The <laughs> Chicago anyone. Bears would love to have it. I mean – most yeah exactly so you know i i think that's sort of a player stylistic comp that would make some sense there you go nice um as y said team fitness game is important so uh, let's look at some of the teams that we think needs a quarterback in this draft and we'll ask you what you think that uh that the team what the team should go what direction the team should go in uh when drafting and where so the so cleveland browns they haven't had a quarterback since you know why and myself were born uh, San, right. San Francisco you mentioned you mentioned Kaiser as a possible option Chicago has Glennon at the moment where everyone's you know it's kind of a head scratching feels like a Matt Flynn situation yeah it's a, it's yeah. a, it's a bit yeah. unique and then you just mentioned New York Jets and we have no idea I just we have no idea so <laughs> I just wrote DEFCON yeah. 1 next to there you go yeah exactly so no, I think that makes sense yeah so any opinions on what quarterback could go where or who you think they should be looking at yeah I mean yeah, I mean, I, I still come back to Kaiser in San Francisco, and that's something that, you know, earlier this draft season, I wrote like a QB-only mock draft where I was like, okay, these are the, the guys where uh, that probably get drafted and where I think they're going to go. And I put, you know, Kaiser to San Francisco at two. Now, I don't know if he's going to come off the board second. You know, we're, again, getting back to some of the off-the-field stuff, the you know, they've even talked about, you know, whether he loves the game, although – what they point to is a situation where his girlfriend at the time had a tumor in her neck and he was going through a tough time. Like I would have wanted to walk away from football too, if that was me in college. So I think people need to give that some context. Absolutely. So maybe Kaiser to San Francisco still makes sense, but maybe it happens now at 34 at the top of the second round 
you know, and not, you know, second pick overall. I think San Francisco can address, you know, whether it's, you know, Solomon Thomas or do something defensively, um, you know, maybe even go in a different direction entirely, go running back. But whatever they do, they can address another need. Kaiser might be there at 34 or, as we've talked about a bit, end of the second round. Uh, I mean, end of the first round to come back in to get him. Uh, Chicago, you know, Mike Glennon, I think we can all agree, guys, is not the long-term answer. They're going to need a quarterback. I would be surprised if they don't go QB here. And I would guess they would go Trubitsky. Like, you know, if it were me, I'd go Watson and just say, look, this is the guy you hang your hat on. I, I think Trubitsky might fit what they're doing more offensively um, in terms of the concepts that they run. Now, another option for Chicago, and this is something that I thought about down at Mobile, is, you know, they were coaching Nathan Peterman down there. Um, they spent a lot of time with him. They're, you know, quality, their passing game coordinator as well as their offensive coordinator were spending a ton of time with him. Maybe Chicago waits, and at the top of the second round, they say, look, we'll roll the dice with Peterman because we've at least got Glennon. We know that we've got somebody that can start week one. Maybe we address another position, use a little bit less draft capital and, you know, salary cap capital on the quarterback now, and we can see what we get on Peterman a year from now. But those are some options, I think, for the Bears. Um, the Jets, I don't know what they're going to do, guys. I mean, they need a quarterback, <laughs> but they've got they've got a full QB room right now where they've got Petty and they've got Hackenberg. And so, you know, do they roll the dice on another early-round quarterback like they did last year with Hackenberg, or do, are they another team that decides to, you know, sort of punt on quarterback right now? I think I think Mahomes comes off the board in the sixth spot. And I give credit to Jeff Lloyd. I know you guys know him on Twitter. Yep. He's been saying this for a while now. Mahomes comes off the board at the sixth spot, but it might not necessarily be to the Jets because the Jets can kind of move back and get some more picks. Somebody's going to want to come up and get ahead of, say, Cleveland or maybe even New Orleans. I know they've taken a bit of a shine to Mahomes. Somebody's going to want to get up and get Mahomes at six. That team probably Arizona. You know, I've talked a lot about I've talked a lot about Davis Webb and how he might fit there. You know, guys, I'll, I'll admit to a little bit of something here. It, this is the second year in a row where I've had this shine, this dream of a Bruce Arians marriage with a quarterback. And last year it was Cardale Jones and Bruce Arians, and I was just so desperately wanting that marriage to happen, and it didn't happen. It's the same thing again this year, guys. I want Bruce Arians to draft Pat Mahomes. All right. I'll <laughs> pencil him in for our, for our next segment, yeah. which is going to be about uh, about that. I, I like that fit. Apparently, they like Deshaun yeah. Kaiser as well. So that that's another yeah. interesting yeah. one. But. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's three guys right there. And then I think Cleveland now gets to sit back and Deshaun Watson gets the fall to them. And so if you're the Cleveland Browns, you get Miles Garrett at one and you get the guy that just – slayed the beast that is Alabama's defense in the national championship game at 12. I mean, the chips kind of fall to you that way. So that's kind of how I Plus see it. Plus, it looks good in orange. Yeah. You know that. I mean, I'd, see I'd that love that scenario to play out. I would, I, I, yeah, yeah, I would love Garrett 1, Watson 12 to the Browns. Yeah. Like, I'd be so excited for them. I think, I think everyone yeah. was feeling, you know, like, oh, the Browns are just doing Browns things until this season, and now everyone seems to, like, be barracking for them, and everyone's got a soft spot for Cleveland, and... Yeah, because it seems like they've now got a plan. Yeah. Yeah. Like years past with Cleveland, it was like, what are they doing? Mm. Like, you know, the the year that they drafted Johnny Manziel, I was like, really? <laughs> like we all kind of liked him as a player. He was exciting to watch, but really? 
Yeah. And so now you can see the stockpile in picks. You know, the easy Browns thing to do maybe from three or four years ago would have been to just give New England picks one and 12 for Jimmy Garoppolo and say, now we finally got a quarterback. Like that would have been the Browns thing to do. Yeah. But they didn't back down. They're not going to like overpay for a guy when they could. They've got two picks in the top 12. They can get a quarterback and an impact player and say, look, we've nailed the first round. Now let's go have a nice little dinner and see what comes back, you know, Friday night. Yeah, exactly. And even if they don't, like, I still think they have direction and they have a plan. So it would be interesting to see how it unfolds. But it it would be old school Cleveland if they did pass on a quarterback at 12 and they all got snatched up and, and, you you know, two or three of these guys end up becoming sort of pro bowlers and it would be... Typical Cleveland that they passed on someone like that, but even then, I, I still think on draft night, I feel like they've got a game plan and a direction. And uh, you know, I'm sort of, I'm a believer of what they're doing long term. Uh, you mentioned uh, Arizona. You want the the Mahomes Arians fit. Uh, we've got a, a selection here of teams that uh, we labeled the heir to the throne. So teams with aging vets and, and and quarterback question marks beyond sort of next year or the year after. I'm going to list some teams here, and I just want to see what which quarter it could be early round or late round that you wouldn't mind seeing uh, slot into that into that offense or that team or that environment. We've got New Orleans, obviously they signed Chase Daniel, but he's not the long term answer. San Diego Rivers turns 36 this season. The Giants Eli turns 37 in January. Pittsburgh Big Ben apparently considered retirement, or who knows about that? I think he just wants a bit of attention. Poor old Big Ben. And Washington, obviously, we're not sure if Kirk Cousins is sticking around long term. Any of these teams or, or quarterbacks that you really like the fit that you're envisioning, sort of Mahomes, Arians esque? Yeah, I, there's a couple actually. Uh, we can start with Washington. Um, shout out to my man Shane Alexander from Inside the Pylon. He put this bug in my ear, doubted Mobile when there was still sort of a question mark over the Kirk Cousins contract status. He said, "Look, if I'm Washington, I draft Nathan Peterman at some point in this draft." Sign, you know, tag Kirk Cousins, and if you can't work out a long-term deal, now you get Kirk Cousins 2.0 in Nathan Peterman. So I, I think that sort of fit makes sense. Peterman's a guy that some people were really excited about going into Senior Bowl week, and I think he was the best quarterback down there. You know, he's not ready to start day one, I don't think, in that Pittsburgh offense he was running last year. Matt Cannon is known for a complex offensive scheme, but they simplified things for him pretty well. Um, a lot of half-field reads, rolled him out a ton, so he's going to need some time. Mm-hmm. But as I mentioned, that Washington offense, a lot of half-field reads, married passing concepts, that's a situation he could come in and I think play pretty early on in his career. So you could figure things out with Cousins. If you have to cup eight with him, now you know, you've know you got a guy you've seasoned for a year. Uh, Pittsburgh, a guy I like for Pittsburgh is Gerard Evans, uh, the quarterback from Virginia Tech. Some people are looking to him maybe as QB5 in this class. He's a bit... You know, uh, he's not quite re- another guy that's really not ready, I think, to start right away. Um, it definitely has, you know, pretty good arm talent, can throw the ball pretty well, needs some mechanical fine tuning, I think. But I think he's a guy that ran similar stuff um, under Coach Fuentes at um, Virginia Tech. A lot of, you know, stuff to the outside, a lot of like fake screens, you're throwing seam routes. Um, so that would be a good spot, I think, for Pittsburgh to address their quarterback position with a guy like Evans. Um, one of the other teams you mentioned, New York Giants. I've gone back and forth on two guys for them in the later rounds. One, uh, C.J. Beathard from Iowa. I mentioned him earlier. Um, I think with the offense that he was running at Iowa, 
fairly similar to what the Giants have been doing offensively under McAdoo in the past couple of years. So I think that would be a good fit. And a guy that I just can't give up on is Joshua Dobbs from Tennessee, who's um, people had the highest expectations for that team and Dobbs as well going into this year, but never lived up to it. But, you know, he's a guy that's a nice sort of like change of pace quarterback right now. He can come in and give you some read option stuff. So he would be a, obviously a schematic, you know, diversion from what they do. But sometimes you could use that to your benefit as an offense. If Eli goes down mid game, now you're bringing a guy that's almost like, you know, you're facing, you know, a 95 mile an hour fastball thrower, and then you bring in a knuckleball pitcher in the seventh inning. Like that really throws hitters off. It's yep. the same kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so that's the situation I'd like. Um, New Orleans, it's San Diego. I think winter is coming for those teams. I mean, it really <laughs> is where, you know, obviously Breeze is still a good quarterback. Um, Rivers, they're still good quarterbacks, but when the end comes, it could come fast. And so, you know, I think those are two teams that, you know, why I think we had talked about this a bit um, yep. probably are like, you know, dark horses to address quarterbacks sooner than people think in this draft. And for both of those teams, you know, I think Mahomes would be a guy that would fit. We know Sean Payton already put Mahomes through a private workout. And from the report on that I've read, Mahomes has had the most private workouts, 18 so far out yeah, of anybody of in this entire draft class. <laughs> Everybody wants to get a look at him, whether it's they want to draft him or they want to know what they're playing against in a few years. We don't know for sure. Yep. But I think, you know, teams want to see what this guy can do. And so I think New Orleans and San Diego, both of them address quarterback in this draft, maybe even in the first round. And Mahomes would be a good fit for them. I still think the Giants. I got this weird feeling. I know you got a weird like crystal ball thing with Mahomes and Arians. I got this weird feeling that the Giants are going to take quarterback in the first round. I just, I mean, they Eli could. looked old, and like really old last season. He did at times, and I mean, you know, Kaya might be, you know, somebody they'd look at if they were going to address it earlier in the rounds, like maybe, you know, in the first or you know second round. I mean, if one of these guys falls. Like, say that situation I started this with where San Francisco passes on – everybody passes on Kaiser, and Kaiser's sitting there at 23. Now, I think if you're the Giants, you have to give that some serious mm-hmm. thought. Um, because like you said, well, I mean, yeah, you know, Eli didn't look that great at times last season. And people can look at his brother. Obviously, his brother had the neck injury, but that's an example of when it goes r- bad, when it goes south for quarterbacks – it happens fast. And if people still aren't convinced the teams need to address quarterback a year ahead of schedule, look at the New England Patriots, everybody. They've had Tom Brady under center now for over a decade, almost two. But every other year or so, they still draft a quarterback. Yep. Like last draft size, I knew that they were going to draft a quarterback, even though they had Brady, even though they had Garoppolo. Because they just do it every other year or so because Belichick is on record of saying you ra- you would rather be a year early than a year late trying to figure out the quarterback position. Mm. And so Fair if enough. you're the Giants, like, you know, if Kaiser's sitting there at 23, like I know you've got some other needs, just take the guy. Mm. Like take the guy and like you've still got Eli Manning. You can now stash him for a year or two. Yeah, I, I agree, especially in a middle-heavy draft. You can – yeah. Find starters on day three. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's a great point. Yep. All right. Uh, we'll finish up with just some uh, some teams that have some quarterback competition. Uh, possibly. Possibly. Yeah. Um, I mean, you you mentioned uh, uh, Brad Kaya, Kaya to uh, Kansas City and whether or not you know 
he he he's the way to go for um, the Chiefs. And then we've got Houston, where if they land Romo, is he just a one-two-year solution? And then we've also got the Jacksonville Jaguars, who Blake Bortles is he? You know, is he the way to go moving forward with new coach and everything like that? So, what what are your thoughts? Yeah, we can start with Jacksonville first. That's a team I think drafts a quarterback in this class, but probably not at well. I don't. They wouldn't do it at four because no. you'd have immediate, you know, chaos. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you'd Mox have QB controversy. Yeah, um, but I do think Jacksonville takes a quarterback in this draft, somebody that can at least push Bortles a bit, because it's almost put up or shut up time for that guy. And you know, his issue was the mechanics and. It, they seem to be regressing from year to year. So they'll probably address quarterback, I'd say, third round in this draft. Um, Houston, you know, that's another team that if one of these guys falls and is sitting there at 25, like let's say something crazy happens and everybody has just been blowing smoke in Pat Mahomes' direction and nobody takes him in the first 24 picks, he comes off the board at 25 to Houston, you know, because they need to address the quarterback position. The Osweiler experiment – you know, that went south. I think Tony Rome is going to be playing golf and calling games next year. It sounds like, you know, I forget who set up. Was, I think it was a Parcells phrase, which if you're thinking about retirement, you've already retired. You just haven't admitted it to yourself yet. <laughs> and so if he's kicking that around in his head, you know, when the body says it's time, the mind sometimes is slower to catch, slower to catch up to that. And so I think Houston addresses quarterback. You know, if one of the guys falls, they'll do it at 25 because that's a team that's what do they need? Yeah, exactly. Like, really, what do they need in this draft? They I need know. maybe a running back. I mean, they need a quarterback. That's and why so I think everyone them... wants Romo so bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It makes the AFC interesting because at the moment, it is literally everyone playing catch up on New England. They're so far yeah. behind New England, it's ridiculous. Yeah. And so I think, you know, Houston addresses it and they probably address it early. Um, and I think a lot of people you see on Twitter saying that, you know, if a QB falls, he's not going to pass Houston at 25, especially if it's Mahomes. Yeah. And then with Kansas City, like, you know, I guess the question is, is have they hit their ceiling with Alex Smith? And is it time to kind of make a different move, a move in a different direction? I mean, that's an offense that has so many weapons right now. Yep. And are they just hamstrung by play at the quarterback position? And you almost start to wonder is – is it the signal caller, the guy making the throws, or do they need to switch to a different style of play? I mean, they've got guys that can stretch the field a bit. Like, they don't, do they need to pitch and hold themselves to this sort of true West Coast offense? If they want to go that route, then look, Brad Kaya, I mean, I think that's a guy that can come in and do it right away. Um, you know, so I think similar to Jacksonville, I think Kansas City is a team that drafts a guy, probably not early but somebody that can at least light a bit of a fire under the guy that's currently taking the snaps and somebody that can step into that type of play if necessary earlier than people might expect. Yep. All right. Uh, one last quick question before we let you go. I just want to know how would you like, if you ranked Watson, Kaiser, Mahomes, Trubisky with last year's Carson Wentz and Jared Goff, where would they all fall? I know we've seen both of those in the NFL, but like as, as prospects, where would you have ranked, you know, them as a, you know, all together. Yeah. It, it, you know, that's a tough question in the sense that like, it's hard to try to put myself back in the mindset of ranking Goff and Wentz this time last year without 
seeing what Goff had once did this past season in the NFL. And those were two guys that I was high on. I mean, look, I had Goff QB1 and Wentz QB1A. I mean, those were guys that I thought could really excel. I think Wentz had a great start to the year when he lost Lane Johnson A and when B teams started to figure him out a bit. Um, Yeah, he regressed. You know, I think he'd be the first to tell you that. Goff looked awful. Mm. I mean, he really did. Let's be honest here. I mean, he looked awful. I think. You know, with quarterbacks particularly, but I think with all players, you give them two to three years to kind of figure it out. Uh, and so we'll get a much better sense of both those guys this year. I mean, my expectations are higher right now for once than they are golf right now. But he's got McVay coming in, you know, more of an offensive-minded coach. And, you know, this gets us to the point where where these guys end up, the scheme fit and the situation and the coaching stuff they get, it matters. And it's not a hedge. I'm not no. hedging my bets. I mean, if you had asked me, the Friday morning after the first round last year, which guy the top two would have had a better rookie year? I would have told you point blank, Carson Wentz, because look where he ended up with Doug Peterson, with Coach Flip, like with offensive guys. Whereas Goff goes out to L.A. with Jeff Fisher, yeah. like not ideal. It, it was kind of staring us in the face. Yeah. So, you know, so trying having said all that, like I think Watson for me stands out. I think Watson would have been one. Um, I'm not going to flip Wentz and Goff around because that's kind of, you know, it would be kind of, you know, chicken in a way to <laughs> yeah. say, no, 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 I totally would have had a Wentz above Goff. So, I mean, I got to keep those guys the same. So I, I'd probably have Watson, you know, maybe Kaiser and Mahomes kind of on par with, you know, Goff and Wentz with probably this year's guys, maybe Kaiser. So it would probably go Watson, <laughs> Kaiser, maybe Goff. Mahomes and Wentz on the same spot, and then Trubisky and Len Lynch. Yep. Lynch was a guy that I was just – I get why people liked him. He just wasn't for me, I think. Yep. Um, you know, he was my QB3 last year, and the guy pushing him for QB4 from behind was uh, Connor Cook, and we don't have to mention that, do we, guys? No, no, no we don't um, have to mention that at <laughs> but, all. But, I mean, that's, that's <laughs> kind of where I'd have these guys. And, yep. you know, it, it's hard, and – you know, again, I, I'm not saying that it has a hedge. Like where these guys end up really matters because you look at Dak Prescott. That's the easy example. But if he ends up in Oakland and ends up starting in Houston and against the playoffs, like is he going to do what Connor Cook did or is he going to have some sort of magical run? Mm. We don't know. But, I mean, Dak Prescott gets to play with Ezekiel Elliott and an established core of receivers and a nice tight end who's a good option and one of the best offensive lines in football. Now, Full credit to Dak Prescott. He did a ton of work on himself mechanically and otherwise to become an even better quarterback than he was at Mississippi State. But yep. landing spot does matter. Absolutely. Absolutely. Perfect. Any last thoughts, Josh? No, it's covered awesome. everything. I, uh, <laughs> yeah, awesome. I loved it. Uh, Mark, before we let you go, and thanks for joining us on the show. We really appreciated all the insight into this quarterback class and uh, the landing spots. Uh, but please plug your plug the draft guide and and where can people find you and then uh, we'll let you enjoy the rest of your evening. Well, thanks for that and obviously thanks for having me on, guys. You know, big fans of both you guys and the show and listen to it and you know it's blast to come on. I, I do have to ask though, we're doing this Friday night, so it's Saturday morning where you're at. Yeah. Has our president started his angry Saturday tweet storm yet? Uh, I I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Okay. Because uh, that's always a little. I've, you know, I've, I've muted uh, the mute button on Twitter is a glorious thing. So <laughs> it is, it is. <laughs> um, anyway, we don't need to go down that road. Nah. But again, guys, thanks so much for having me on. As far as the draft guide, you can check it out at itpdraftguide.com. 
the way we've sort of put it together, we've built sort of an NFL scouting department. We've got Dan Hatman, John Ledyard, Jeff Fair, and Shane Alexander. They're the guys at the top overseeing the entire operation. We've got multiple guys at each position group. Myself and Ted went at quarterbacks, for example, uh, Brandon Thorne and Sal Conti at offensive line, and on down the line. So we've got multiple sets of eyes on each position. For wide receivers, we've got Joe Farola, we've got Michael Nuttall, and Australia's own Justin Twelve looking at wide receivers. And so we've built the scouting department. We've got checks and cross-checks on all this stuff. We've got an NFL-style grading scale on these guys as well. So we've put together our top 100 players. We've got a nice horizontal board with grades on these guys. But that's not all. We've got fantasy stuff in there. We've got philosophical stuff in there. We've got some analytical stuff in there. And we've even got interviews with current, former players, guys that have been through the draft process, like Mitchell Schwartz with the Kansas City Chiefs or Geronimo Allison. Uh, who's in the NFL right now. And we've got some guys in this draft class as well that want to hear their name called, telling us what it's like to be on the inside as we're looking at them from the outside. So we've got a big old package. It's like a 450-page thing. So, again, check it out. at You can check it out, itpdraftguide.com. Yeah, I uh, can't recommend it enough, even though we haven't looked at it. I just know it's going to be good. <laughs> and I uh, can't wait for tomorrow to get my eyes on it. Mark Schofield, thank you very much for joining the Wooten Wise Show, and uh, we look forward to keeping up with your work as we head closer and closer to the 2017 NFL Draft. Thanks so much, guys. Have a good day. Thanks, Thank you. Mark. You too. Perfect. Big thanks to Mark Schofield for joining the show. As always, we uh, like to give them a plug after the interview, even though we did. Please head to itpdraftguide.com and uh, pre-order the Inside the Pylon uh, Draft Guide. Uh, Mark explained in detail how how great that's going to be. Mm-hmm. I I enjoyed that chat. He's a very knowledgeable man on awesome. a very, you know, difficult position. <laughs> yeah, and uh, we didn't. I didn't even bring up. He's also a former lawyer, so we could have we could have really outed you there and just got into some lawyer talk. Um, would have really boosted ratings. Yeah. <laughs> Stay tuned next <laughs> yeah. week when we go through former lawyer accountancy. Talk. Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, uh, that wraps up the show. I hope you enjoyed our interview with Mark. We'll be back in the next few weeks with uh, more draft content for y'all. And uh, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at JYNFL. Don't follow me after this episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, follow me at Woot, etc. Follow the show at Woot and Y. And you can listen on Audio Boom. We have switched. We are now on Audio Boom. You can listen on iTunes, Stitcher in the US, Google Play, and iHeartRadio now as well. And yeah, please, iTunes reviews, give us a five star. 